This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for November 2019. Well, it gets dark quite early now. As it does so, if you look over above the western horizon, you'll still see the stars that make up the constellations of Cygnus and Lyra, with their bright stars Deneb and Vega. They've been around for a long time now. Moving over towards the southwest is the great square of Pegasus, the upside-down ringed horse. If you start at the top left-hand star of the square, it's called Alpha Rats, it's actually Alpha Andromedae, and move left one star, fork right a little bit to the second bright star, and then 90 degrees right to a further star, and the same distance beyond that star, on a dark, clear night, you should see a fuzzy blob. And that's the nebula in Andromeda, the Andromeda galaxy M31. It's the nearest giant galaxy to us, the largest in our local group of galaxies. Above it is the W-shaped constellation of Cassiopeia, and that gives you another way of finding Andromeda. The lower right V basically points towards it. So you just start at that V, follow your eyes down with binoculars, and hopefully it'll be visible. Well, the winter sky is beginning to come across us. And now, if we look towards the southeast, we will see the constellation of Taurus the Bull, with the two lovely open clusters, the larger Hyades cluster, and the beautiful Pleiades cluster. In the Hyades cluster, you actually will see a rather orange-red star. It's called Aldebaran. It's actually not part of the cluster. It's, it's a red giant, and it's about halfway between us and uh, the Hyades. And then, rising over in the east, is that wonderful constellation of Orion the Hunter. And looking a little bit to the northeast is the constellation of Gemini. And I'll come to one or two things in the sky to look for in the highlights of the month. Well, what about the planets? Jupiter has been in our skies for some time now, and it's still visible low in the southwest as darkness falls. On the 1st of November, it shines at magnitude minus 1.9, which falls a little to minus 1.8 during the month. The angular size drops slightly from 33.4 to 32.1 arc seconds, but sadly by the end of the month will be lost in the sun's glare. It lies in the southeastern part of Ophiuchus, is heading towards the southernmost part of the ecliptic. So as it appears in the twilight, it will only have an elevation of about 8 degrees. With its low elevation, atmospheric dispersion will certainly take its toll. But you should be able to spot the four Galilean moons, at least some of them anyway. Well, Saturn is still better visible. It's seen just west of south as darkness falls at the start of November. Then its disk is 16 arc seconds across, and the rings, which are still at about 25 degrees to the line of sight, nicely tilted, and they span some 39 arc seconds across. During the month, its brightness remains at about plus 0.6, while the angular size drops slightly to 15.4 arc seconds. Again, now in Sagittarius and lying on the southwestern side of the Milky Way, is at the lowest point of the ecliptic and will only reach an elevation of about 13 degrees when highest in the sky.
Now, Mercury. Well, we have a highlight this month. The transit of Mercury, I'll come to later on. But following its map transit on the 11th, Mercury rises rapidly into the pre-dawn sky, increasing in brightness by about half a magnitude each day and rising about seven minutes earlier as the days progress. Those rates slow down until Mercury reaches greatest western elongation, some 20 degrees in angle from the Sun, on the 28th of the month. By then, it will have brightened to magnitude minus 0.5 and will rise one and a quarter hours before the Sun and will have an elevation of about 11 degrees above the horizon before being lost in the Sun's glare. So quite a good time to look for Mercury late in the month. Now Mars, well, it passed behind the Sun, that superior conjunction, on September the 2nd and can now be seen in the pre-dawn sky at the start of its new apparition. It might just be glimpsed just south of east at the start of the month, but will then only have an elevation of about 11 degrees at sunrise. Then binoculars could well be needed to spot its 1.8 magnitude, 3.7 arc-second disk, but please do not use them after the sun has risen. However, by the end of the month, Mars rises some two and a half hours before the Sun, remaining at magnitude minus 2.8. But its disk is still less than four arc seconds across, so nothing will be glimpsed on its sort of salmon pink surface. Well, Venus may just be glimpsed in the west-southwest, setting an hour after the Sun at the start of the month, but will be difficult to spot, due to the fact that the ecliptic is at a shallow angle to the horizon and so Venus will have a very low elevation. By month's end, the sun sets just before 4 p.m., and Venus an hour and a quarter later, but will still only have an elevation of about 6 degrees as darkness falls. Its magnitude remains at about minus 3.8, and its almost fully illuminated disk is 11 arc seconds across. Again, binoculars and a very low horizon will be needed to spot Venus, but please, again, do not use them until after the sun has set. So finally, what about the highlights? Well, it's still a good chance to observe Saturn. It's now at a low elevation of about 13 degrees, just west of south as darkness falls, lying above the teapot of Sagittarius. Held steady, binoculars should enable you to see Saturn's brightest moon, Titan, at magnitude 8.2. A small telescope will show the rings with a magnif magnification of 25 or more, and one of 6 to 8 inches aperture, with a magnification of about times 200, coupled with a night of good seeing, and that's when the atmosphere is calm, will show Saturn and its beautiful ring system to its full glory. The thing that makes Saturn stand out is, of course, its ring system. The two outermost rings, A and B, are separated by a gap called Cassini's Division, which should be visible on a steady night in a telescope of four or more inches aperture. Lying within the B-rim, but far less bright and difficult to see, is the C or crepe ring. Now, in late evening in November, a nice chance to look at the double cluster and the Deben star Algol in Perseus. If you look up towards the constellation of Cassiopeia and follow down to its left, you come to Perseus. Just on the border of the two 
is a rather lovely double cluster, two open clusters close together. Very nice to see in a small telescope. Perseus contains Algol, the demon star. Algol is an eclipsing binary system, as seen in a diagram on my night sky page. Just search for night sky jodrell. Normally the pair has a steady magnitude of 2.2, but every 2.86 days this briefly drops to magnitude 3.4. Now November is a good time to find Uranus. It reached opposition on October the 28th, which means it's around due south at midnight. With a magnitude of 5.7, binoculars will easily spot it, and from a really dark sight, it might even be visible to the unaided eye. A medium aperture telescope will reveal Uranus's 3.7 arc second wide disk, showing its turquoise colour. It lies in Aries, close to the borders of Pisces and Cetus, as shown in the chart on the night sky page. On November the 1st, after sunset, a crescent moon lies between Saturn and Jupiter. So looking low in the southwest, you'll see it down to the lower right of a waxing crescent moon, while up and to its left lies Saturn. On November the 9th, before dawn, Mars at magnitude 1.76 will be seen just above Spica in Virgo at magnitude 0.95. And then on November the 11th, we have a transit of Mercury. Now, whereas in 2016, in May, I think, the whole of the transit was visible, this year the sun will have set at about 4.16pm, well before its end. First contact is at 12.35, when its disk will just impinge onto the sun's surface, with second contact at 12.37. The sun will then have an elevation of about 20 degrees over the south-southwestern horizon. Mercury reaches the midway point of its transit at 3.19, with the Sun at an elevation of just 7 degrees. But it will be lost from view long before fourth contact as it leaves the Sun's surface at 6.04. Mercury's disk is just 10 arc seconds across compared to the Sun's 1938 arc seconds. So a small telescope will be needed to observe it, should hopefully it be clear. Now, any observation of the sun can be dangerous unless proper precautions are taken. And, of course, under no circumstances, one should look directly at the sun. One method to observe the transit is to project an image of the sun's disk onto a white card mounted behind the telescope. And that has to have a shield to surround it, so blocking the direct sunlight falling on the card. And, of course, ensure that no one could look up towards a telescope eyepiece. A second approach is to buy a solar filter that's placed over the objective. And I always tape mine into place so it could not possibly fall off. You could also buy a sheet of Bada solar film from about 15, 16 pounds upwards. Just search for it on the, on, on the web and you could make your own solar filter. But obviously great care is needed. As the sun is at solar minimum, it's unlikely that any sunspots will be visible to be confused with Mercury. But if so, Mercury's disk is, will appear darker and will, of course, be moving across the sun's surface. On November the 16th, the moon lies in the constellation of Gemini, the heavenly twins. On the 22nd, Venus lies very close to Jupiter. 
that after sunset, looking southwest, Venus will lie just two degrees below Jupiter, with Saturn high and away up to the left. And something to look for on the Moon. On November the 5th and the 18th, they're good nights to observe the Alpine Valley. Close to the Apennine mountain chain that marks the edge of Mare Imbrium, and towards its upper end, you should see a cleft across them called the Alpine Valley. It's about seven miles wide and 79 miles long. As shown in the image I show on the Night Sky website, a thin rill runs along its length, which is quite a challenge to observe, and I have to say I've never seen it, but I have photographed it. The dark crater Plato will also be visible nearby. And you may also see the shadow cast by the mountain Mons Piton, lying not far away in Mare Imbrium. This is a very interesting part of the moon. Well, we've got long nights. Let's hope we have some clear skies to observe our beautiful heavens. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haritina Mogosanu and Samuel Lesky with the night sky where you are. Welcome to November. My name is Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Samuel Liski. November is my favorite month of the year. The name of November comes from Latin meanings the ninth. It was the ninth month from the beginning of the year, which for Romans was in March. November is the time when the star cluster known as the Pleiades is visible again in the evening sky. The star cluster is linked to Halloween in the Northern Hemisphere, but here on the other side of the world, we prepare for summer. Here in New Zealand, flowers and stars unite at the horizon. Entire hills change colour due to so many wonderful flowers this time of the year and the bulk of stars in the Milky Way surrounding the horizon like a river. To be fair, most of the flowers are in fact the yellow flowers of gorse, but that's okay. And the purple ones. Which is also another introduced weed. Now, but just after sunset, the centre of the galaxy is on the west side of the sky, and you can just see the tip of Scorpius and Sagittarius. Whereas on the eastern horizon, half of Orion, or as people call it here in New Zealand, the pot, it merges from behind. And we actually just came back from Rotorua, where we kind of like enjoyed a little bit of stargazing under the beautiful dark sky from there. And we soaked in the hot poles at the Polynesian Spa. It was the best stargazing ever. Unfortunately, the etiquette at the pool said that you couldn't uh, talk very loud, so we couldn't really talk about a whole lot to do with the stars, and we sort of certainly couldn't talk we to couldn't the other tourists. You know, we couldn't talk at all. And, and you weren't allowed to use your phone to talk on or listen to music. Not that we would have anyway if we were talking about stars. But, but that's what it says on the walls. Yeah. But, but we did spot some stuff while we couldn't talk or listen or anything. We, we looked up, and here's what we saw. We spotted the planet Jupiter, still bright, moving now a little bit towards Saturn, so those two are getting a little bit closer together. Then, of course, um, Saturn, but invisible next to it, um, we could not spot from the hot pool, Pluto. But we know def- it's there, right? <laughs> yeah, we well, need a telescope for that one. Um, November is still a good time to catch up with these two amazing planets if you've not had the chance to look at them yet, but they're not as close as they were a couple of months ago, especially Jupiter. But they're still a great view, and, uh, and if you're into imaging, you can still get some great pictures of them. At the beginning of the month, Venus and Mercury are very close and are joined by Antares and Jupiter, and they make a, a spectacle in the evening sky because those two get very close together. And I think it's about a degree and a quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you need a good opening on the horizon to spot them in the beginning of the month. 
But keep an eye on Venus all throughout the month, because around 9th of November, it will pass close to Antares, about 4 degrees from Antares. And then it will move in closer to Jupiter and Saturn, so that on the 24th of November, um, Venus will be within one and a quarter degree to Jupiter. Of course, um, Antares is not actually moving anywhere near Jupiter because that would kind of mess up our entire solar system significantly with a star that size. Few um, for that. You know, being anywhere near Jupiter. And given Jupiter likes uh, kicking meteorites off out of the way, um, I'm not sure it would um, do very well against the star size of Antares. But anyway. Venus will be close to Jupiter, visibly. In visibly, the sky. yeah. Visibly, but it's yeah, not just moving say, in its position. Yeah. It's not. And... It would be so close that you could... You could fit two and a bit four moons between them. Yeah, and hmm. that's a lot of moons. Yeah. But it's not a lot either. <laughs> it's just pull your visibly, pinky out visibly. at your arm length, and um, that's and two it, moons will fit in your pinky. Well, of course, the rest of the solar system is visible as well. Um, Neptune and Uranus are out there as well, and uh, Neptune's in Aquarius and Uranus is in Aries. So, you know, you get to see all the planets, except Mars. Mars is the one that's uh, Hidden. not visible at the moment. Well, shame on Mars, then. Yeah, well, if it's not going to hang around, then too bad. <laughs> November here is called Orongo, which means the time after the Great Rain. And boy, does it rain in October. Hmm, it rains a little bit. Um, November <laughs> harbors one of the most beautiful asterisms I have ever seen. One of my favorites, uh, the Grand Canoe of Tamarereti, or Te Wakao Tamarereti. And when I say it harbors, it almost really does, because the asterism stretches around the horizon as the Milky Way surrounds the horizon. So it's just amazing. Um, I talked at length about this asterism, and of course, as I was saying, it's one of my favorites. You can find the full story on Milky Way Kiwi. Te Wakao Tamarereti is the story of how the stars ended up in the sky, and it's a legend from around Lake Tekapo here in New Zealand. That's in the North Island of New Zealand. Actually, the whole North Island of uh, New Zealand is the big volcano, and Lake Tekapo is like its crater. So that's how amazing it is. Um, I first heard about this legend from Frank Andrews, who used to work at Cut Observatory, and he heard it from someone who was from Lake Tekapo, and he told it to us. And later on, Tony Fisher rewrote the legend in 2008. So basically, the Milky Way is the canoe, Scorpius is the prow, Saturn Cross is the anchor, and Orion is the stern. My favorite asterism is the coat hanger because it looks like a coat hanger. It does look like a coat hanger, but you have to be in the Northern Hemisphere to see that one properly. Mm -hmm. Kind of like high up in the sky. Yeah, well, it actually looks like a coat hanger. Well, Scorpius is another asterism that looks like a... Like a question mark, like a scorpion. It certainly looks more like a question mark than a scorpion. It does, or like a fishing hook. Mm. So anyway, tell us about this asterism that so harbors anyway, so, in the harbour. So, so the Hyades and the Pleiades are in this, it's, it's 270 degrees around this, the horizon. That's how big it stretches. The coat hanger's not that big. The, no, it's actually really tiny, isn't it? Mm. Um, and you can see it with the binoculars. Mm -hmm. That's how you can see it, not with the naked eye. No. Um as opposite to Te Waka Otamareti, which you can see with the naked eye across the horizon 270 degrees, and it goes from Scorpius to the Southern Cross to Orion and then to the Hyades and to the Pleiades, because it just so happens these two are also, again, visible in the night sky. And it's spectacular. You have to kind of, like, 
come here and see it. But that's kind of like has a downside as well. Because Milky Way being on the horizon, most of the stars that we're used to looking at in the Milky Way, we can't actually really see. So November can be one of those months where, unless you know where to look in the sky and what to look for, you can't really see too much. All right. It's the boring month. When it comes to astronomy in the Southern Hemisphere, if you have to pick a month that is... Well, boring's a bit unfair. It is not as interesting well, as, the, as the other months. But the flip side is you do get to have a look at the large and the small Magellanic clouds, which we talk about in a second. Um, the Magellanic clouds are the great attraction on November, as I was saying, for the simple reason that most of the center of the Milky Way now is beyond the horizon or around it. So we're looking at everything through a layer of atmosphere, so we can't really see too much. And we're lucky here, actually, where we see in Wellington is because the Magellanic clouds are circumpolar, so they spin around the, um, the South Celestial Pole. In um, 23 hours and 56 minutes. But in November, in the evening, they're quite high. Yeah, the high, whereas the rest of the year they've been a bit, well, the last few months have been a bit low. So we haven't been able to have a look at um, 247 or the Tarantula Nebula. But now we can. Which are amazing targets. Mm. And like even just if you take a pair of binoculars and look at the Magellanic Clouds, it's absolutely spectacular. That's why astronomers are so crazy about them. Mm. Oh, and we can also see Sculptor Galaxy. Yeah, we'll talk about that as well. So November isn't so bad. Well, because you have Sculptor Galaxy and another galaxy, Andromeda. So you can see all the galaxies, the four of them. Well, you can't really see Andromeda. Well, you can see if you have a pair of binoculars. If you try really hard, you go on top of the mountain. Mount Cook. Mm. Yeah, Mm. Um, <laughs> so when is good time for observing? At the end of the month. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> from the top of Mount Cook. We have no. We have a new moon on the 27th of November, and you don't go observing stars on the 13th of November as the moon is full. Well, you can observe stars, but only the bright ones. Well, you can try. You can observe the moon, but that's not good either, either as it's a bit too bright when it's full. Uh, but it's still quite cool to look at if you've got no choice. Um, oh, the, and filters. Yeah, yeah. So, but obviously, the best time to to observe the moon is when it's um, in in one of its phases, not when it's a full moon, and obviously not when it's a new moon because you can't see it at all. Um, up in the sky, almost at the zenith, is Groot, um, which is kind of a cool um, constellation because it's, it's double, double, double. Yeah, double. it's a whole pile of little doubles in a row, so it's pretty easy to spot. They kind of follow a bit of a curved path. Now, of course, like most of the constellations, I don't really recognise what they are, but it's a double <laughs> bunch of double stars what in they a curved say they path. Are. Mm. Um, close to it is Formahel in um, Pisces. Austrinus. Austrinus. Yeah. The Saturn Pisces. Oh, the, yeah, the version we have down here. Yeah. Um, as you look up, Formahel and Arcanar and another star, Deneb Kytos Which we Bruce, talked about before. Yeah, yeah, they make a triangle. And that's mm-hmm. how you can find the Sculptor Galaxy. So which, Sam is going to tell you how to find a Sculptor Galaxy, which actually talked about from the pools. Yeah, well, so what you do is you kind of make a triangle with um, Formahel, um, Arcanar, and Deneb Kytos, which is a bit of a yellowy kind of star, kind of a bit down the sky from Formahel. And then you sort of go from, from Deneb Kytos to Arcana, if you imagine a line, and you hold about three fingers up, um, so in that line from Deneb Kytos. Yep. Then you should see Sculptor sometime, somewhere around there. And it's, it's a very prominent galaxy, very easy to see from the Southern Hemisphere. Very beautiful. Well, it is still beautiful. I mean, every time we look at the sky, it's very beautiful. Now, another thing about November is that this is the month when here in New Zealand, the canoes start to navigate again. And in fact, right now, 
a few canoes and a replica of the endeavour and spirit of New Zealand are circumnavigating New Zealand as part of the Tuya 250 celebrations that commemorate the arrival of Captain Cook. Now, of course, Captain Cook came to this part of the world mainly to observe the transit of Venus, but also to observe the transit of Mercury. From which Mercury did, Bay. Yeah, we did at Mercury Bay and the Coromandel in the North Island of New Zealand. And what's quite interesting is he did that, I think, on the 9th of November. And this year, on the 12th of November, or the north, or the 11th of November in the Northern Hemisphere, but in the 12th here, early in the morning, there'll be another transit of Venus. Uh, not <laughs> Venus, Mercury, sorry. You're going to have to wait another 100 years for Venus. So this is quite, um, you know, almost 250 years exactly since um, James Cook. Quite a and, cool coincidence. Yeah, and the crew and the Endeavour observed it the first time. We actually get to miss it in New Zealand this time by a little bit. But you might you might be lucky, and if you've got a really good horizon and you just catch the sun maybe, you know, half an hour after it rises, um, according to our planetarium program, you should see Mercury just in the disk of, of the sun on, the, on you know, on the way out. But you still still should see a little bit of it. We'll, of course, miss the entire transit. If anything else fails, just listen to Sting's song. Yeah. Mercury failing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Have you seen a transit before? Uh, yes, I saw Venus transit, actually, on a hole in a piece of paper. Wow. Well, the projection kind of method, which was at work, at work through a brief bit of sun on a cloudy Wellington day. Wow. I've seen both of Venus transit and Mercury transit back in the Northern Hemisphere in 2003, mm. and it was amazing. And it takes a long time. Like, you get... To understand how long a transit takes. Yeah, well... Because I keep observing in hours. The orbit's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the ecliptic, because we were there anyway, talking about all the planets, they're all on the ecliptic. Just below the ecliptic is the great square of Pegasus, and um, that's riding the northern horizon, because Pegasus is a horse. So, in November, we should be able to see again the brightest stars in the sky, in order Sirius, brightest star... Canopus, second brightest star, you can only see it um, from below 23 degrees latitude north, So, which is why I came here to see it, because it was very <laughs> prominent, visible. And Alpha Centauri, which is the third brightest star in the sky, so you can see all these three stars in order, and I love doing this, it's one of my favorite things about the sky here in the Southern Hemisphere, because you can see these three, and bright, right, I can see the second brightest star in the sky, and you can't. <laughs> well, of course, Alpha Centauri is a, is a double. So you're actually looking at um, a, a headlights of a car from a long, long way away. So That's it looks like one. That's a cool comparison. Hmm. And they're only about, I think, five arc seconds apart at the moment, and they orbit each other on a period of about 70 years. So if you imagine that one of the pair was where the sun is, yeah. the other one would be about where Neptune is. Wow. Um, if that was our solar system. That's not too far. No, well, see, you know, they're pretty close. So, and through a decent telescope, um, well, in fact, not even that decent, but a, but a reasonably good telescope. It's more about the seeing, actually. So mm. if you've got a good seeing and you can um, spot things that are five arc seconds apart, then you'll see literally what looks like a pair of headlights, yellow headlights, <laughs> in the field of view. In the field of view, four light years away. Much like probably what a possum sees on a New Zealand road shortly before it gets smacked by a car. But unlike the possum, we have some time to get away yeah. we from have, the road. We have about 4.3 light years. <laughs> well, I guess we're talking about the light, right? Yeah. Very, um, all right. And so not only that you can see the three brightest stars in the sky, but you can also see the three brightest galaxies 
in order, the brightest galaxy that we can see is the Milky Way. The Milky Way. The second brightest galaxy that we can see is Sculptor. No. <laughs> well, you can't see Andromeda from here. Well, you can see Unless you're on a mountain. the Magellanic you Cloud. Oh, the Magellanic Cloud. The large yeah. Magellanic Cloud. Yeah, yeah, true. And then the small Magellanic Cloud. And then if you try really hard, you can see Andromeda. Go sculptor, it's easier. But anyway, if you are standing on a mountain and you um, can see <laughs> Andromeda, which people can have and have seen from, from this latitude, um, you can totally spot it in a pair of binoculars. But it's not really worth imaging because you're not going to get a pretty, pretty good shot. No, because it's very low on the horizon, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, you're looking at it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the sun. The sun rises around 6 a.m. on the beginning of the month and sets around 8 p.m. at the end of the month. And then earlier, about 20 minutes, um, at around 5.40, and then, at the end, then that's at the end of uh, the month, and then it sets 40 minutes later, respectively, so about 8.40 at night. So it's a pretty busy month, except... <laughs> Except there's nothing in the sky. Except there's no Milky Way. But there is a transit of Mercury, so exciting stuff happens. That's right. So it should be quite quite good. So we wish you clear skies so that you can always see the stars and hope you have an amazing November. You'll hear from us next month. Yep, when we talk all about December. So that's bye from me. Bye from me too. And clear skies. (laughs) 